Please turn in your copy of God's Word to Psalm 131. Psalm 131. We will once again consider one of the songs of ascents. Remember, these hymns were meant to serve God's people as they journeyed up to the temple for worship. Last week, we heard about our great assurance and hope from Psalm 130. God accomplished our forgiveness at the cross, and he has promised a day when we will enjoy our full redemption when Christ returns. So we wait with eager expectation. But what does it look like to wait? What is going on in a heart that is hoping in the Lord? We'll hear more about this in our scripture passage this morning. Now, as we prepare our hearts to receive God's word, let's come to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to you acknowledging that you are sovereign over all things. We confess that Christ alone can calm our hearts and settle our weary souls. We thank you for the sure hope that Christ has accomplished on our behalf. We ask that your word will strengthen our hearts as we wait for his return. May the gospel expose any pride, discontentment, or idolatry that remains within us. O Lord, transform us through the preaching of Psalm 131. May your spirit show us the majesty and wonder of your Son. We ask that you might convict those who remain stubborn in their sin and bring about genuine repentance and faith. For your glory we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Psalm 131, verse 1. A song of ascents of David. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with his mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. He was no ordinary visitor. His fame had spread throughout the entire country. And to their great astonishment, he stopped by their house for a visit. Martha was eager to make him feel welcome. Everything had to be perfect. So she busied herself right away with preparations. This had to be the best meal that she's ever cooked. As she was kneading the dough and marinating the lamb, Martha's heart began to feel anxious. Her heart began to beat fast, and her mind was overwhelmed with everything that she wanted to do. Surely her sister would understand the pressure that she felt and would be eager to help. But Mary was just sitting there enjoying the company of our guest. Her her visitor, Jesus Christ, did not seem bothered either. Martha's heart could not take it any longer, so she went up to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But Jesus answered her, Martha, Martha, 
you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Friends, the story of Martha and Mary reveals two pictures of two very different hearts. Martha's heart was loud and busy, while Mary was content to be with the Lord. Which one best describes you this morning? Maybe you're feeling overwhelmed by the daily grind of work, bills, or dirty diapers, and your heart is anxious. Maybe the Lord has withheld from you a good desire, and your heart is clamoring to get what you want. Or maybe you are facing a difficult circumstance or ongoing suffering, and your heart is longing for rest. David, the author of Psalm 131, knew these temptations very well. After he was anointed as king, David was on the run from his enemies for 15 years. Those who hated him without cause were more in number than the hairs of his head. Psalm 69, verse 4. Yet even in the most pressing situation, David learned the secret of contentment. He learned how to trust in God as he hoped in his redemption. In Psalm 131, David gives us a window into his soul so that we might follow his example. Beloved, as you face various dangers, toils, and snares on this journey to that heavenly city, you must wait on the Lord. To do this, you must humble your heart, quiet your soul, and hope in the Lord. These are the three points for our sermon this morning. You must humble your heart, quiet your soul, and hope in the Lord. Let's think about that first point. Number one, you must humble your heart. Waiting on the Lord begins with humility. Look at verse one. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. David starts the psalm by addressing his covenant Lord. Did you see that in verse one? O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. Like the psalmist in Psalm 130, David evokes the name of Yahweh in his prayer, and he tells the Lord the state of his heart. Now, what is the heart that David is referring to? Well, the Hebrew word for heart literally means the inner man. This is who we are at our core. This is different from the outer man. So God has created all human beings with both a body, the outer man, and a soul, the inner man, or the heart. Michael Emlet from the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation defines the heart this way. The heart refers to the basic inner disposition of a person. Other terms that scripture uses to reflect the inner man include spirit, soul, mind, and will. Although not exactly synonymous, they overlap in meaning and together portray the inward disposition of the heart. If the heart is the seat of a person's spiritual life, then thoughts, desires, and the will to action originate in the heart. The heart thinks and remembers. The heart feels and experiences. The heart chooses and acts. It is the body that carries out the heart's desires. So here... David comes to his covenant Lord and tells him the state of his soul. This is his spiritual condition before God. 
Friends, you must bear your heart before the Lord. If you are a Christian, then God is your father and you have nothing to fear. Like David, you have an intimate relationship with the Lord. You do not have to pretend, but you can be honest about the condition of your heart. If you do not know how you're doing, then open your Bible and ask God to show you from his word. Ask God to graciously reveal your sin, and he will encourage your heart with the gospel. And as you do this, you'll be able to be transparent with others when they ask how you're doing spiritually. Now, what does David say about the state of his heart? We'll look again at verse 1. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. His heart is not lifted or raised up high. So think about things that are raised up. For instance, consider the tallest building in the world. The Burj Khalifa towers over every other building in Dubai. It makes all other skyscrapers look small and puny in its presence. And David says that his heart is not like that. Rather, his heart is lowly. David is saying that his heart is not proud. His heart is not proud. What is pride? Well, simply put, pride is self-exaltation. It is to lift up your thoughts, your desires, and your ways above all else. A proud heart is to be like Adam and Eve, who coveted independence from God and equality with God. This is a heart devoted to the advancement and glory of self. Pride is rebellion against God and is worthy of his descendants. But amazingly, David told the Lord that his heart is not proud, is not lifted up. How does he know this? Because he can recognize the characteristics of an arrogant heart. David provides two examples. Look again at verse 1. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. So a proud heart has, number one, haughty eyes, and number two, lofty thoughts. Let's think about haughty eyes. Have you ever seen someone who walks with their eyes raised too high? His chin is up, his chest is, sticks out, and he walks in like he owns the place. He clearly thinks he's like Thor among mere mortals. He thinks way too highly of himself. Eyes that are raised too high look down on others. Now Jesus gives a great illustration of this in Luke 18, verse 10 to 14. Listen to this parable from Jesus. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like that tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself, humbles himself will be exalted. Like the tax collector, David's eyes are not raised too high. What about you? Do you think too highly about yourself? 
A good way to evaluate your heart is to examine whether you're tempted to compare yourself with others. Maybe you easily recognize what someone is wearing, and you put high value in their appearance. Maybe you're quick to look down on others who not dress as nice as you. Or maybe you're quick to notice someone's ability, whether it's at the workplace or on Sunday morning. You think too highly of those who have great biblical knowledge and too lowly on on those who need to grow. Or maybe you easily compare our church to other gospel-preaching churches. If only they could be more like us. Your heart is proud. Your eyes are lifted high. Another way to examine your heart is to consider your thoughts. Do you occupy yourself with things too great and too marvelous for you? Your thoughts are busy, busy, busy. The noise of work, parenting, or what you'll do next is always buzzing in your mind. Your thoughts are always preoccupied looking for ways to improve your circumstances. Friends, this is a noise that comes from a heart that wants to be in control. When David speaks of things too great and too marvelous, he's talking about those things that belong to God alone. As Deuteronomy 29, 29 tells us, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us. This is his right as our creator. He alone is God and sovereign king. He has ordained every single second of your life. The ongoing illness you are enduring, the difficulty at work, that painful relationship, or the struggle with sin are all ordained by your sovereign Lord. Yet how many times do you try to play God and take control of your circumstances? When you let your thoughts become preoccupied with what you think is best, you're walking in arrogance. You're saying that God doesn't know best. I do. I want to fix my circumstances or be in control. Beloved, a proud heart thinks too highly and too often about himself. So what should you do when you recognize pride in your life? You must be like David and humble your heart. You must humble your heart. Think about all that David has said so far. First, you must humbly come to the Lord and bear your heart before him. You must remember that all of your sin is ultimately against God alone. Listen, it is good to confess your sins to one another. But if you have not confessed your sin to God first, then it is nothing more than another form of self-reliance or pride. You must come to God and confess your sin. God alone can forgive you, so you must come to Him. Second, you must also repent of your haughty eyes and lofty thoughts. You must not think too highly of yourself, but must humbly agree with God's assessment of your sin. You must have a change of mind and acknowledge that your arrogance is rebellion against God that deserves his judgment. Finally, you must trust in God's gracious redemption in Christ. A heart of humility really believes in God's promise to forgive you of all your iniquity. So come to the Lord. Acknowledge your sin and trust in the gospel. You must first humble your heart. Second, point number two, you must quiet your soul. You must quiet your soul. Look again at verse two. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. 
King David tells the Lord more about his spiritual condition. Here in this psalm, David is giving a full portrait of his soul. And he does this by giving two pictures side by side. In verse 1, David gives a picture of his humble heart. But here in verse 2, David gives another picture of his soul. He says that his soul is calm and quiet. Is calm and quiet. This word calm literally can mean to level. Like when you flatten a hill to build a foundation. Or think about a lake when it's undisturbed. It's smooth as glass. Inwardly, his heart is calm and steady, even in the face of uncertain circumstances. This word quieted can also mean to be silent or be still. Just think about all the noise you hear in a day. Honking cars, bickering children, screaming bosses. All gone. A holy hush has fallen over his heart. His soul is like the most peaceful garden or most relaxing mountainside. His heart is quiet, even when the noise of life might seem overwhelming. And when you pair these two words together, you get a picture of a soul at rest. His soul is at rest. David further describes his heart in Psalm 23, 1-3. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. This is David's heart when things are going well or when he walks through the valley of the shadow of death. David has learned to trust in his God no matter the circumstance. His soul has found rest, and he is completely satisfied in God. Friends, this is a heart of contentment. His heart is content in the Lord. In his book, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, Puritan, Puritan Jeremiah Burroughs describes contentment as that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. This is the state of David's heart. Friends, are you completely satisfied and content in the Lord? If we were to do open surgery on your soul, would we see a heart that is clamoring for many things or at rest in God? It is a heart of contentment that will guard you from being tossed to and fro by your circumstances. But how can you have this rest? How can you have this heart? By following David's example. David actively worked upon his heart. He did something. Did you notice that in verse 2? Let's read it again. He says, but I have calmed and quieted my soul. He did something to his heart. He acted upon it. This tells us that there was a time when his soul was not calm and quiet, but noisy and restless. His heart was turbulent like a raging sea, or like that storm that ripped through Sharjah a few weeks ago. His heart was tossed to and fro by the threat of his enemies. His joy and his sorrow followed the peaks and valleys of his situations. His soul was also loud and noisy. In my office at home, I have an AC window unit by my reading chair. There are times when it runs fairly smoothly. 
But there are other times when the unit begins to shake ferociously. Do, 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 do. The other day, while I was in a meeting, we had to, stop, we had to stop our discussion because we could barely hear over the noise. It was disturbing and distracting. David's heart at one point was noisy and distracted by a desire for other things. But David did not remain there. He calmed and quieted his soul. Now, David doesn't tell us exactly how he did this, but he does explain the manner in which he did it. He explains the manner and what he did it and how he did it. He quieted his soul like a child is weaned from his mother. He quieted his soul like a child is weaned from his mother. Verse, verse 2, he says, Like a weaned child with his mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. Have you ever seen an unweaned child? This is an infant who is totally dependent on mommy for food. And what is an unweaned child like with his mother? Restless, noisy, clamoring for milk. Half the battle for most parents is just trying to calm and quiet their newborn. But when the baby is hungry, this unweaned child, all hell breaks loose. The unweaned child cries and cries and cries until they get exactly what they want. I want milk and I want it now! But that same child, when it is weaned, the scene becomes dramatically different, doesn't it? What was chaos has now become a picture of peace and contentment. That same weaned child can now sit on his mother's lap and be completely happy just to be with mom. This is an illustration of David's heart and our hearts. When our souls are restless, we are like an unweaned child always clamoring for what we want. David Powelson helpfully summarizes this heart with an anti-psalm. An anti-psalm. He says, Self, my heart is proud, and my eyes are haughty, and I chase after things too great and too difficult for me. So, of course, I'm noisy and restless inside. It comes naturally, like a hungry infant fussing on his mother's lap. Like a hungry infant, I'm restless with my demands and worries. I scatter my hopes onto anything and everybody all the time. When our hearts are restless, they are like that unweaned child always wanting more. I want a stable income. I want a spouse. I want to be respected. I want to be loved. I want a friend who understands me. I want relief from my suffering. I want, I want, I want, where, where, where? But the Lord graciously refuses to give us what we want. He weans us through means of discipline. The Lord weans our hearts through the means of discipline. We calm and quiet our souls like David by humbly receiving God's discipline. As Hebrews 12, 10 to 11 explains, God, God disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Friends, you calm and quiet your soul when you trust in God's sanctifying work in your life. Beloved, God's discipline can be very painful. 
Sometimes God brings great trials into your life in order to reveal a particular sin that is causing your soul to be restless. For instance, maybe the Lord is withholding a good desire for marriage in order to expose your sinful need for a spouse. Your misplaced identity is wrecking havoc in your soul and is causing you to be restless. Or maybe God has ordained a great trial in your life to wean you off self-reliance and teach you to trust in him. Or maybe God has allowed you to fall into sin or feel its consequences to show you how sinful you really are. He might allow you to fall into pornography or explode in anger to help you see that all is not well with your soul. And in all of it, in all of it, God is in the business of making you more like his son. He's in the business of making you more like his son and giving you the rest you need. He's weaning you off self-reliance, pride, lust, idolatry, or anything that might hinder your rest in him. Friends, if you are a Christian, then you know this rest. You cannot know Christ and never know his saving rest. The author of Hebrews connects the promise of rest in the promised land to the salvation, this rest in Christ. As he says in Hebrews 4, 8 to 10, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. For we who have believed enter that rest. Friends, the secret of contentment is to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. In Christ, by the power of the Spirit, you can humble your heart and quiet your soul. You can trust in your sovereign God over all your circumstances and his discipline. Beloved, do not despise God's work of discipline in your life, but trust in his all-sufficient grace. He gives you grace sufficient for today. So walk knowing that your Father is working all things together for your good. Calm and quiet your soul and rest in him. Friends, you must humble your heart. You must quiet your soul. And finally, you must hope in the Lord. Point number three, you must hope in the Lord. Look again at verse three. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Like Psalm 130, David goes from personal devotion to corporate worship, to a corporate hope. Notice that the wording in verse 3 is identical to Psalm 130. So look back at Psalm 130, 7 to 8. Psalm 130, verse 7 to 8. The psalmist says, O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Psalm 131, verse 3. O Israel, hope in in the Lord, from this, from this time forth and forevermore. Like the psalmist, David calls Israel to hope in Yahweh and his promised redemption. And as king of Israel, David turns Israel's attention away from himself and to God. He turns Israel's attention away from himself 
and to their covenant-keeping God. This is further confirmed for us in how David arranged this psalm. Notice how David arranged Psalm 131, and it begins and ends with Yahweh. Verse 1, O Yahweh, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. Verse 3, O Israel, hope in the Lord. Psalm 131 is not ultimately about David, but about David's God. This is not a psalm about what David can do, but what God will do, both now and forever. It is hope in the Lord that grounds David's heart of contentment. It is hope in God that settles his weary heart and calms his troubled soul. It is hope in God that gives him rest even when he is surrounded by his enemies. It is hope in God that enables David to humbly trust in God's sovereignty even as he waits for God to make him king. It is hope in God that teaches David to not take things into his own hands, but to come to the Lord in prayer. It is hope in God that David and all of God's people can find rest for their souls both now and forever. Beloved, do you hope in God alone? Is your hope in the Lord? Every time you find your heart proud or restless, the root cause is that you're looking to something or someone else as your hope. The root cause is that you're looking to something else or someone else as your hope. And to hope in anything else other than the Lord is called idolatry. When you place your hope in other gods, discontentment and pride will wreak havoc in your soul. For instance, think about if your hope is in money. Think about if your hope is in money. When you do not have enough money, you become anxious. Your thoughts become flooded with how you're going to make ends meet. Your heart, begins to be, your heart begins to be consumed with comparing yourself to others and their situation. You become jealous and even bitter towards God and to those who have more money. Instead of humbling yourself and turning to the Lord or asking others for help, you take, situa- you take, the, take solutions into your own hands. Maybe you compulsively quit your job in hope of a better one. Or maybe you begin to pile up debt so that you can keep your current lifestyle. Or think about other times when you are doing well financially, when you have lots of money. You are no longer anxious, but you're at ease. Your thoughts are no longer flooded with worry, but with desires for that new toy or gadget. You want to have that phone or that car or that bigger apartment. You want to show off your designer bag. You become puffed up with pride. You begin to look down on others who do not make as much as you. Maybe you begin to subtly judge them based on what they wear or how much or little they give to the church. Friends, at the root of all pride, anxiety, anger, or lust is an adulterous heart, idolatry, a hope in something other than God. Was it not out of an idolatrous heart that King David committed adultery with Bathsheba and murdered her husband? Friends, King David was no better than you or me. He also was in need of redemption. David only serves as a shadow of a more righteous king. Friends, we need a more perfect example, a far greater son of David. In every way that you have failed to hope in the Lord, Jesus never once gave in to sin. 
So let's think about a few examples how Jesus perfectly fulfills this psalm. Let's think about a few examples. Think about how Jesus walked in humility. One of the greatest examples of Christ's humility can be found in John 13. So turn with me to John 13. John 13. I'll start in verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. So if there was ever a night that Jesus could stop and say, Disciples, I need you to serve me. It was this night. But what does Jesus do? On the night of betrayal, the night before the cross, Jesus was not thinking about his own interest. He was thinking about the good of his disciples. Look down at verse 12. When he had finished, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example. Jesus gives a perfect example of a humble heart. He gives an example of a humble heart even in the most difficult circumstances. He does not consider his own interest, but prefers the needs of others. He does not think too highly of himself thinks about his disciples. Or think about how Jesus calmed and quieted his soul later that night in the garden. Matthew 26, verse 37. Just listen to me. Matthew 26, verse 37. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Friends, Jesus is about to face one of the most horrific deaths on the cross. But much, much, much more than that, he is about to drink the full cup of God's wrath for the sin of all his elect. He's so burdened, he begins even to sweat blood. So, what does he do? What does he do when his soul is troubled? Verse 39. And going a little farther, farther, he fell down, fell down on his face and prayed, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Not as I will, but as you will, he prayed three times. In his most dire hour, Jesus turned to the Lord and he asked that God would remove this cup. But notice that his heart is not restless or clamoring for a way out. He says, not as I will, but as you will. And when he finished praying, knowing God's will for him, he got up and he set his face like a flint to the cross. When he was wrongly accused and spit upon, He did not raise his eyes too high to defend himself. 
When he was being flogged and made to carry his cross, he did not occupy his heart with things too great and question God's goodness. When he was stripped naked and nailed to that cross, he did not doubt God's love or hope in another. As 1 Peter 2.23 explains, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Friends, do you know this heart? Do you have this heart? Or is your heart proud and restless in your sin? If you're not a Christian, you need to know that your sin is high-handed rebellion against God. In your arrogance, you have rejected God's love and sought other lovers. You have stained your garments and given yourself over to idols that fancy your heart and please your flesh. You've anxiously busied yourself with everything but God. And you deserve the full punishment of God's anger in hell forever. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus suffered and died. He paid the price of redemption for sin. He rose again, the grave and death are conquered. He was vindicated in his resurrection and now offers you his humble heart. He invites you today. He says, come to me, all who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Friends, repent of your sin today and trust in Christ alone. He is your only hope of salvation and rest. Beloved, Jesus Christ is our only hope. He has conquered your sin at the cross so that you can hope in him for now and forever. He is your hope for today, for right now. So no matter what your heart is wrestling with this morning, you can come and bring it to Jesus. He paid for your sin so that you can walk in righteousness. Root on every idol that distracts your soul and find your hope in the gospel. You must be like Jesus in the temple and overturn the tables of every single thought and desire that might lead your heart away from God. Repent of your idolatry. Ask God for forgiveness and flee to the refuge of redemption in Christ. If you're anxious and troubled by your present suffering, then remember that your heavenly Father is sovereign over your circumstances. Calm and quiet your heart as you turn your eyes to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of your faith. Remember that your Heavenly Father is using every joy and every single sorrow, every single second of pain he's using for your eternal good. So humble yourself under his hand. Learn contentment as you daily seek to apply the gospel in your circumstances. Let the good news of Christ's death, resurrection, and coming guard your heart and calm your soul. Remember that God's promises are really trustworthy and true. Bring your noisy heart into submission to his word. Remember, that, remember all the ways that Christ has loved you so that you can love one another in humility. And when your heart is overcome by the storms of this life, you feel overwhelmed and overcome, then remember that Jesus is both our hope for now 
and forever. There's a day coming when Jesus Christ will return and make all things new. There's a hope that one day our hearts will no longer be burdened by sin and suffering. There's a day coming when he will wipe away every tear and sorrow will be no more. So wait on the Lord and hope in that day. Let the hope of the resurrection strengthen your weary hearts. Find rest for today as you long for that eternal rest when we enjoy our God forever. Unto the grave, what shall we sing? Christ, he lives. Christ, he lives. And what reward will heaven bring? Everlasting life with him. Then we will rise to meet the Lord. Then sin and death will be destroyed. And we will feast in endless joy when Christ is ours forevermore. Oh, sing hallelujah. Our hope springs eternal. Oh, sing hallelujah. Now and ever we confess Christ our hope in life and death. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the great hope of rest we have in Christ. We pray that you might humble our hearts and quiet our souls as we long for Christ's return. Help us to endure in faith and to really believe that you are our hope both now and forever. In Christ's victorious name we pray, amen.